So, uh, Brando, another uh, weekend of diving for us. Another weekend of experimenting with my new camera. How'd that work out for you? I just saw some pics you posted. They look pretty good. Yeah, You know what? That's uh, the power of editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? I mean, they were kind of how I was envisioning taking the picture, you know, that dark creepiness. Uh-huh. But again, you know, I'm just, I mean, I rattled off probably six to ten of that same shot on both of those, you know, trying to just try to get it just right. And then playing around with it afterwards to really hone in that dark, creepy feel. I mean, I got a lot of love from the people out there. Shout out to everybody who said they liked my pictures from the weekend. Nice. But I tell you, you know, I, I'm still learning that strobe. That's a whole whole nother monster in and of itself. Strobes are a fickle creature. <laughs> They're a lot like a woman. A strobe. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I gotta buy my strobe dinner, sweet talker, and get, buy her candy and candy and jewelry. You might still be in the doghouse. <laughs> you might be in the doghouse because you did that. Hey, before we get started, everybody. I would like to give a shout out to one of our good old listeners, Chris, who sent Brando and I these super kick-ass pens. Yeah, these pens are awesome. Oh, man. I feel like a real man (laughs) holding this pen, let me tell you. Well, they've got a little weight to them, so yeah, you better be in shape when you have one. Yeah, a little diver head on them, beautiful blue. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, these things are just beautiful. Sent to us. Handmade. Yeah, handmade. He sent me a link to this website. It's on Etsy. So his his brother makes these. Bison Wood Crafters on Etsy. He's got all kinds of uh, these pens and wine stoppers and cool stuff that you can get. But he's got uh, these scuba pens on there, too. These things are really kick-ass. Kind of in the... I would... You know, some people would probably say in a little bit of like a underwater, watery, oceany looking theme, but I, I would call it more of a great dive podcast look, color scheme. Yeah, so hey everybody, get out there and check these out. Perfect for a little holiday gift. Handcrafted little fine art pens and Wine stoppers and cool stuff. Uh, Etsy.com over at Bison Wood Crafters. And thank you, Chris, to sending us a couple of these. Yeah, thanks for thinking of us, brother. That is really, really nice. But, you know, getting back home and playing around with these photos that I took, you know, I'm really turning into that guy. You know, now, as soon as I get home. <laughs> Run up to the know, computer. My wife wants, yeah, my wife wants to sit down and talk about the day. And I'm like, be right back. I got to upload some photos, honey. Yes, come sit next to me. We'll talk while I ignore you and just <laughs> lose myself in Lightroom and play play around with this contrast for five hours. But it's it's fun, kind of going back, and it got me looking up because I I was I was thinking you know we hadn't done one of those photo contests in a while, so I, I looked up scubadiving.com's 2021 photo contest winners and. Um, I went out to the garbage and threw my camera away. <laughs> I uh, this, why why bother? You know why bother taking photos ever again when you look at some of these? It's something to aspire to, James. You're right. Not everything's You're right. A competition, but competition helps. I mean, you look at this year's, and they said in here that they had over seventeen hundred submissions, and I mean, these are beauties, man. Just beauties of shots and what i always like about the scuba diving.com photo contest winners is they tell you the camera they tell you the settings that were used so it's not just a a, a bunch of pictures that you look at and you go oh christ i'll never get <laughs> anything like that you know you 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 have a chance <laughs> well you can learn a lot because they because all you got 
you, you think, can I just copy these settings? And I, uh, that's how I get this picture. But No, it's not, just not that simple, James E. But they do give you a little background of the shot, the, the technical aspects of it. So that does help you. Well, the, the very first one, the grand prize winner from Lorenzo Mitiga. I mean, this thing is a piece of art. I mean, just absolutely beautiful shot of uh, French angelfish. He says, the, the, the behind the shot on this one, it says, I live on Bonaire Island, and one of the most common fish I encounter during my shallow dives is the French angelfish. It's an inquisitive territorial fish that most of the time snakes into the frame while you're trying to photograph other creatures on the reef. In this case, I was totally concentrated to get a nice front portrait of a less common queen angelfish, shyer and faster, hiding intermittently behind a rock. This French angel looked like it wanted to be the prima donna, and it stole the scene. And this is classic, beautiful colors, amazing texture, completely black background. That's one of those magic shots that you were telling me before uh, of of getting shots like this, you know, playing with that aperture, playing with that f-stop. And when we look here, Brando, the settings that he's using on this camera, one, what I'm starting to learn from what you're, you've you been telling me is he's using an ISO of 80. So very low ISO. Yeah. Super low, super low. I, I've been trying to shoot 100 as much as I can to get that rich richness without going grainy he's going even lower and and is that why there's so much intense texture to this Uh, shot would you say i don't know if if that's contributing as much to that as other things other aspects of it but is it the high f-stop the aperture this f this f22 that he's very closed down aperture which is what you've got to do in these macro shots because like i said you know, I've told you about our little triangle of aperture, ISO, and shutter speed. And moving one affects the others, and you always give something up as you, uh, for example, jack the ISO up so that it's more sensitive to light. You give up the clarity of the shot, I guess you'd call it. The noise increases as you jack the ISO up, right? Right. And this uh, this one has there's no noise at all in this, I and mean, this is a beautiful shot to the to the point where you can detail, see, and, and nearly count all the teeth. Yeah, it's a nice macro shot. And going back to that f twenty two with the macro, you really have got to jack that aperture high, which means you close it down, which increases your focal plane. Okay, remember we we're talking about focal plane, like if you're using a very wide open aperture, like a two point eight or a... yes, it's got a very that's got a very short focal. Right. Plane. So when you're doing macro, it's even uh, exaggerated to the nth degree. So if he were to use say an an f four or even an f eight to take that macro shot, you notice how he's got the entire depth of the subject is in focus. Meaning the, the, the forehead, the eye, the mouth, the, the part of that pectoral fin, everything's really in focus, and then it just goes to nothing black behind it. Um, so when he does these shots, or anyone does macro shots, it's really critical that, especially if that's what you're looking to get, a, the entire focal plane to be quite, quite large, if you're looking to get that, you need a lot of light. You're gonna need a lot of light, so I'm sure. I'm sure he's using, you know, the strobes up pretty powerful, and yeah. So he's saying he's using two CNC strobes and a focus light. And the focus light doesn't really add anything to it. It's just helping the camera focus on the, when it's dark. But um, yeah, you look at his, his shutter speed too. Is at one two fiftieth, which on a lot of cameras that's borderline to um, you know, where you can put your shutter speed so that the strobes still are in sync with it because you can put your shutter speed too high that it won't catch the strobes it's too fast for the uh, for the strobes yeah it's a delicate balance you know and and you were saying a minute ago about there's that relationship between the aperture the shutter speed the iso and i I think where i'm at right now still being new is is i'm I'm chasing that triangle constantly because one affects the other and then so adjust this and zip to this it seems like I'm on a merry-go-round of adjustments. <laughs> what do you want to give up? You know, are you willing to accept a little noise in the photo so that you can keep your aperture dialed down, which gives you a larger focal plane? 
or you keep your shutter speed dialed up fast also so that you don't have any motion blur or camera shake blur. So those are all things you got to take into consideration. And on a macro, it really becomes a little more difficult because your subject's so small, you're focused in on that tiny little area and you have to you have to put in a ton of light because you're going to have to use a, an aperture that's really, really restricted. So the high aperture number. Yeah, and he's underwater with a fish that's just zipping around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, this, is, I mean this, yeah. this picture looks like it's a fake fish <laughs> sitting perfectly still, you know? It's like it posed perfectly for him. I'm trying to see that reflection in the eye. Uh, I was too. It uh, it almost. I was wondering if it was. Is that the reflection of his dome port in the eyeball? That would that would be amazing. This looks like something. That part of it looks like something our buddy Donnie would do in Photoshop. Like if you really look, if you really looked close enough, it's him back in the eyeball. You know. Yeah, definitely. I would say congratulations, Lorenzo. Easily, I, I could say, this is worthy of a grand prize winner. He and he won a, and he won a trip aboard the old Belize Aggressor for uh, for the first place grand prize. Pretty awesome. Yeah, but if you look at some of the entries in this contest, it's a pretty tough. Oh competition. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a so stiff competition. It, for it certainly is. I mean, uh, next up, you know, they move into some categories, and this first one being behavior underwater. And there's three shots, all really interesting shots. Um, I mean, I, I am a fan of the second place shot more than the other two myself. But the other two are, are pretty amazing. I mean, this first place picture, I mean, this is macro, macro. Yeah, I mean, it's this tiny. Is a, this is a tiny, tiny, tiny shot. Another F22, same 1 250th of a second shutter speed, but his ISO, he's got up there a little bit. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that's because this is so small that he needs the light. And he's got a couple, and he's got a couple of strobes. I think it's more of he may have been taking this shot at night, so he had no ambient light. Right, right, okay. That's why, so he had, he had, to, he had to get a little bit more... Uh, light sensitivity into the camera somehow. So there are a couple, th you know, like I always say, there's a couple things you can do to to get more light to that sensor. And he's got pretty much the exact same settings as the other guy, but the ISO he had to increase. So there must not have been the same amount of light available to him. Right. Well, when we look at his description of the shot, he says that although typically singular or in long chains, salps are by no means rare. But on this night, there were countless salp colonies coiled into these beautiful spirals, a shape far rarer. So he was at night. And this is so part of, I think, what what won him this picture is the rarity of the shot. This is pretty cool to to have been there right at the right time to get the composition of this. Now, the second place shot, maybe it's because I'm a Moray Eel fan. Maybe it's because I'm a horror movie aficionado that uh, it's it looks so cool to me. <laughs> but this uh, second place shot in the behavior, right, of... The green moray getting cleaned by the shrimp was pretty amazing. Now, he says in this that during a night dive on my local site at my home island of Réunion, I was lucky to encounter this spectacular viper moray eel in the open. I noticed that there was a cleaner shrimp on its head, so I decided to wait for an opportunity. I was truly delighted and excited when I saw the eel open its jaw and the shrimp get on to clean it. Clean symbiosis is a mutually beneficial association between individuals of two species where the cleaner removes and eats parasites, debris, and other materials from the surface of the other. And this is a great shot of that eel, mouth open, teeth, black background, some color, the, the pinks and reds of the, of the coral around the eel. I mean, this is just a rich, intense, vibrant picture. And there's so much damn texture all to boot. Well, yeah, when you look at his settings, you'll see uh, 
why you're getting such rich texture, clarity. Everything's in focus. Now, is that because of the sharpness of the high f-stop? Uh, well, it's yes. The high f-stop is what puts everything everything in focus. You're seeing a common a common thread in the settings, right? Yeah, yeah. These macro shots that we're looking at, you really need to bring the light, and you got to use that f22. You know, high high f-stops, which means it shuts down that aperture to a very small opening, and um, Puts everything in focus. Gives you that uh, much deeper focal plane. Now, the shots that I was taking over the weekend, my strobes were just blowing everything out. But at the same time, right, I was also playing around with that big, wide, open aperture, trying to get the shots that I posted of that dark, mysterious-looking underwater world, basically just using the camera. And then when I threw the strobe in, it's because that aperture was so damn big is that why that strobe was just blasted away? Whereas here, although he's got two strobes, he's got that f-stop dialed so tight and closed. Yeah, that's going to shut down the uh, the light getting to the sensor, of course. Ah. Same with the the lower ISO. He's got a one twenty five ISO, so that is going to make the sensor less sensitive to light, but give you more of a, you know less noise and the less graininess to the picture, if you will. Yeah, and the one two hundredth on the shutter speed, he's running that up again pretty high. Uh, well, you have to with macro. You have to with macro because because the handshake, the the which is inevitable. You know, even when you press the shutter, you're going to move move the lens. You're going to move the camera itself. Although it's minute, I mean, it's very very tiny. If you don't put up a, a halfway decent shutter speed, like one two hundredth of a second, you're going to get camera shake blur. Yeah, yeah, which is like. In this next one, this third place photo by Erica Miura, I mean, of coral spawning. Yeah, pretty cool. Wow, it looks yeah, yeah. Uh, like a Christmas, you know, background with the lights on the trees or yes, something. Yes, I love it. I, I mean, this, to me, this is a really cool photo. I mean, just the, the composition of it is super cool. But you do see that if you look at it, you'll see that focal plane on this one. Very thin. Very thin. So that's different than like with the the eel that we were just looking at. You were saying that the sh- that the f stop was super high there, and and everything was in focus. It was a deep focal plane. This is different. You got the 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 hard sliver. Yeah, yeah, and that's because of the low f stop. It's that low aperture, the low number in the aperture, which means the actual opening, the actual aperture. Letting it's the light big. in is big. It's large. Uh, so she's using a an f two point eight and a one four hundredth of a, a second shutter speed. She's probably not using a strobe because it's too fast of a, a shutter speed for most strobes. And this is most cameras and most strobes. I know they they do have it out there where you can use a faster um, shutter speed. You know, faster than one two fiftieth. Right, but but typically. The, the the shutter faster than one two fiftieth. What you're saying is that that shutter is going to open and close faster than the strobe can shoot out and actually cover the area. So you're going to get like a partially lit snap. The, the snapshot is going to be partially lit because the strobe hasn't fully lit up that area, which is exactly what what uh, she's saying here when you look at her camera gear because she's not using strobes she's using a video light for this right which a lot of folks are going to um on macro i would think it's it's probably a lot more difficult you've got to have a, a decent camera that can shoot at high iso and still turn out a decent you know usable photo so yeah she's, and she's got a, a really high iso here yeah 2000 iso which is uh by old old standards 2000 is really high it's it's high for sure, but it's uh, with new cameras, new technology, we're able to get into the 5,000 ISO range and, and still turn out a really decent, crisp shot. The other, there's a relationship also between getting proper exposure with a high ISO and getting a, an improper exposure with high ISO, uh, meaning you can still shoot a high ISO if you have it properly exposed and it won't be super grainy, super noisy, you know, um, whereas if you underexpose it that darkness is is the place the shadows are where you're going to see just tons of uh noise and sometimes you can just in post in your in your software especially like lightroom has a pretty good noise reduction tool yeah very cool very cool shot she says that she was in japan for the 
yearly coral spawning, which is a, a big deal that a lot of people go and do. And the hard part being you never know when it's going to happen. And she says that after many days in the ocean, I was finally able to see it happen. The corals release their pink bundles all at once. And when the release peaks, the whole area turns pink. It only lasted a few minutes, so I frantically pushed the shutter <laughs> and got one hell of a shot. Way to go. Really pretty. Yeah, really pretty shot. No, I like that one. I mean, I like all of them. They're all pretty cool and, and unique and um, very artistic. But this one in particular, I, I probably out of all of these macro, I like just because I like that um, very shallow depth of field. And uh, it was an interesting shot. It's really nice. Yeah, it is real magical. I'll give you that. All macro, though. All macro. Come on, man. And we haven't even got to the macro section of the of the contest. So many of these these winners are macro, and um, you know, I'm a I'm a wide angle guy for the most part. I am too. And maybe that has more to do with our environment. It doesn't offer up the opportunity for you know th- those beautiful macro shots. We don't have that color, right? We don't yeah, have that, that life. So next up. So next up, Brando, they move to the compact cameras, meaning not the big old DSLR giant rigs. These are like the, the, the camera combos that you can walk into most dive shops and buy a camera system. Like your Sea Life's with the strobe or the Sea Life with the video light, video light and the strobe. The little combos that you can get for, you know, 1500 bucks or so. I think the biggest thing about the compact camera we're looking at is you don't have the ability to change the lens. You know what I mean? Correct. You can't go from shooting wide angle one day to shooting macro. Well, put you a can. different macro lens on. Yeah, you don't put different lenses. You do it all with one camera. Right, so, yeah, that, that's what I meant. Yeah, it's not really s- specialized for the most part. I think with some of the C-Lifes C and whatnot, you can change. There's a lens-changing capability well, now. Well, yeah, you, you know? so now you can yeah, so you can put uh, you know, a wide-angle lens onto the front of the housing, but, it's the, but the camera itself has one lens. It has one lens, right. Yeah, and that's it, what it, I meant. It, yeah, it may be a, a you know a, a zoom type lens, meaning it has multiple focal lengths available by just dialing you know dialing it in. But uh, yeah, and they say in the beginning, just showing you that you can pull off an incredible shot no matter what kind of camera you have, which I would agree with a thousand percent. Although I know I give you a lot of grief because of your your GoPro, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the GoPro does all the work for you. In other words, it does all the thinking. You just point and click a button. That's that's where my grief is, you know, about it. Uh, but but <laughs> I, I think it uh, shooting a camera like that it requires you to have a little bit more of an artistic eye because Bingo. you don't have the technical mm-hmm. ability to fix the shot in your hand and in your settings. You have to understand that the camera's only going to do so much. you got to create the shot yourself. So, yeah, there's, right. a, there's a balancing act there, too, I think. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's, that's why I, I say to you, I think you've developed a really nice eye from using that GoPro. Because that's what it forces you to do. You've really got to look at the shot. And I'm hoping that, you know... Ex- these years that we've been talking about camera work and whatnot, you, you've started to understand how that GoPro is thinking, if you want to put it that way. What is it thinking when it, it's going to size up the shot for me when I go to click? I'm thinking it's probably a high aperture because it's got a deep field of view. On this particular one? No, no, like just generally when I'm snapping oh, stuff with oh. that GoPro. Well, the thing about the GoPro is it's so small that the aperture is always going to be low. But it's going to, because it's so small, the low aperture on that small camera still gives you a deep focal plane. Thank you. you know Thank you saying? very much. Thank you very much for not saying, <laughs> no, you're an idiot. No, you. I mean, you're, you, you are right in the sense of its aperture for the size of the camera is dialed high. It's a very tiny aperture. But... When we talk aperture numbers with like a full-size camera compared to a GoPro camera, they're apples and oranges because you're shooting at a aperture of 1.2 with the GoPro. Now, if I shoot a 1.2 with my DSLR, my totally focal different plane, game. right? My focal okay, plane's right. going to be super thin. Gotcha. Whereas gotcha. on the 
GoPro, that 1.2 or 2.0, whatever the hell aperture it's picking for you, is going to still put everything in focus for the most part. All right, so my, my thinking wasn't that far off. No, no, you were dead on, actually. I, I was just trying to point out, like, when I used to go, you know, I'll take pictures with my GoPro and I'll go look at the settings that the GoPro chose. And the aperture is always like a 1.2 or 1.8 or whatever. But everything's in focus. The end, you know, from front to back, it's all in focus, which made me wonder how and why. And then it kind of clicks in when you understand how focal, how the focal plane is determined by the aperture and how the aperture is determined by the the distance from the point of focus in the lens to the sensor of the camera. It's because that camera is so small. The distance between the focal point and the sensor of the GoPro is very tiny, and the lens is tiny. Everything's small, so it makes things a little different. But regardless... I guess my whole point in bringing it up is you and I talk photography quite a bit, and especially the technical aspects. And when I would teach a photo class and we talk about different cameras, you get a class full of people. You don't know their experience level. You don't know what they're going to shoot with until you get to the class. I like to know that they know how a camera works. Like you're a, a complete beginner and you don't know anything about cameras. So we start to explain the GoPro's aperture, ISO, shutter speed, how it selects it. So when you, if you are using a GoPro, you have an idea of what that GoPro is going to do. You know, if you're shooting in a low lit area, you know that GoPro is going to jack the ISO way up. So you know it's going to come out grainy. Yeah, there you go. And that's the, the ultimate key of underwater photography is understanding what you have in your hand. If you can understand what you have in your hand, you're going to have a better chance, regardless of what it is, to capture an image. You might not be able to capture the image you want because the tool that you have isn't going to allow it. Yeah, it's limiting you. It's limiting your you know, abilities to, yeah, to, yeah. to create. That's why, again, we go back to why I like a full manual camera is because it gives me the freedom, the, the ability to operate it and, and try to pull off what I've got in my mind. Yeah, now these, so when we look at these compact ones, I mean, this first one, this first place shot of the squid. Now, this is really pretty rich colors. He's saying that he's used an Olympus. Now, when we come to the compact cameras, they're not really as easy to adjust the magic triangle, are they? A lot of them will allow full manual mode. Okay. The GoPro does allow you a manual mode, but you can't access that underwater. Yeah, it's difficult to do, right? Like, And then like the third place picture that we're looking at of the golden tail mores... Right? I mean, that's shot with a Sea Life DC 2000, which is nice. And you can do manual, mm-hmm. but it's it's not as easy as doing manual on a DSLR where you've got all those settings right there. You can get it in play. Right. So the fact that they're showing, you know, on these Golden Tail Mores in this third place shot of an F2.8, 1 400th, an ISO of 125, could that... Could that be just the settings that the camera picked? Yeah, that's. I was just going to say it would be nice if they put in also the mode, right? Uh, that right. The camera was in whether it was in you know full manual. Yeah, this is what captured it. Like, and I mean, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the second place winner from Wayne McWilliams yeah. of that Blenny coming out of the sponge. I mean, that's really really cool. That is pretty cool. You notice both two of them are using those Olympus uh, TG4 cameras. Right. Must be a decent little compact camera to bring with you. I mean, the compact has some advantages. You're still able to access a full manual mode in many of them, and they're small. I mean, you know what it's like now carrying a rig with you. Right. Everywhere you go, right? It becomes kind of a son of a bitch. I got to carry this thing with me. Right. It's like uh, deciding you want to be the drummer in a band. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's uh it's really cool until it comes time for load in and load out. <laughs> uh the next section we come to is the macro section. And they say wait, here that Wait, ma- wait, wait. This is all macro. What the hell? <laughs> it's just, I know the whole damn thing's been macro so far. But it makes sense cuz he says uh or, or they say here that macro is arguably the most competitive category in their annual contest. Standing out in such a stacked category is quite the challenge, but this year's winners did just that. And inevitably, it comes down to the little things. They say chromatic harmony. 
Chromatic harmony. A hint of exquisite movement or a combination of color and texture that makes it impossible to look away. I like that chromatic harmony. And boy, this first place winner is just magical with that color. Now, my now my pictures over the weekend had a nice chromatic harmony of, of that blue TGDP uh, home colors of that aquamarine and black that, that I so dearly love. That, but that's like my home home colors. This here, I mean, this shot here of this Spanish dancer, just amazing. The, the emperor shrimp with the nudibranch. I mean, beautiful colors. It's a tough one to pull off, I think, because the shrimp is the exact same pattern and color is the background right so to be able to get the separation right so that it's not lost in there so that's where like the the macro is needed to be able to get in because if you would have taken this really close with a wide angle you never would have even seen the shrimp in there it would have been camouflaged right in probably not yeah You, you can't get close enough to get this kind of shot with a wide angle it won't you know it's tough to focus in you'd have to really just take the take a big shot and crop it down to this and this this lens when we looked at those macros earlier that weren't officially in the macro section they were using a 60 millimeter lens this is shot with a 105 and when we look at the settings here, Brando, these are even moving into an even more extreme from what we looked at earlier, right? This is like my comfort zone right now that i am kind of been running lately for an ISO is at that 100. But this F-stop that he's got here. The 29, again, if you're looking at a pattern with, with macro, you're noticing that the F-stop, high number, which means that they're closing down that aperture really small. And then the Shutter speed is always in around the one two hundredth, one two fiftieth. Right, right, right. So you look at you're noticing that pattern. This guy's also got a, a one hundred ISO, so he really wanted a very crisp, clear shot, no noise or little to no noise. Now, when we compare that with the second shot in macro, I mean that's an awesome shot. So cool, but it's a completely different type of a macro shot too, right? Well, of course, yeah. But you can kind of see where the you can see where the strobe placement was on this. You know that that low key shot, which is pretty much standard for macro shots. You know what I mean by low key? No. There, there's high high key and low key in uh, photography. High key means a white background. You've seen those shots, like a lot of portraits, models, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Right. And then low key is the Are black these, background. These black backgrounds. Okay. Right. Now I'm getting the lingo. Now it's all coming. To so you. this, yes, is very low key. The strobe, the strobe is lighting this squid up as if it was a spotlight on a stage in a play in Broadway, right? I mean, it's yeah, it it that's what it looks like. It's just hovering there, and uh, the shadow underneath it is what I think is the cool part. On right, right. Whereas typically you would go out of your way to try to not have a shadow in the shot, but in this picture, the, the shadow makes the shot exactly, and that's. I mean, you point right there, you're kind of alluding to a thing with uh, photography that kind of isn't everything. So when you teach photography, when you first start, you're, you're given all these little rules, right? These are rule of thirds. You, your shutter speed should be one over, at least one over your focal length to avoid camera shaking. The little rules like this, never put everything on one side of the frame and it junk like that, right? You need to balance. But as you become good with photography, you learn breaking the rules is sometimes desirable. It will bring that shot you have in your head. And and again, that's kind of the case here as, as far as shadows go, right? Like you said, the uh, the shadow is kind of what makes that shot very unique, and it kind of makes it a, more of a magical shot. Very cool, very cool. I like this one a lot. There's so many macro photographers out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I like macro. These are cool shots. All of them are really, you know, kudos to these folks, but I'm just more of a fan of the wide, the wide shot. Well, we're going to go there next. But we got this last one here, this third-place winner, I mean, this is of of this Nudebronk here. Again, another low-key background. Very colorful. Again, we talk about chromatic harmony. 
And basically that means the colors go together well. They, it doesn't mean they're all the same color. As a matter of fact, when you start looking at color wheels and uh, chromatic harmony is, is achieved by opposite sides of the color wheel a lot of times, it all depends on what you're going for, right. the feel you're going for. Yeah, you look at this, the blues, the yellows, the, you know, punctuated with black, and there's even some, some green in there. Very pretty. When you go to another deep black low-key background here, and then the, the one from the, the previous picture, again, what, what's fascinating is, so you go from a F9 in the second place one to this one having a, a tight F22. Yeah, it's a much smaller subject. And as, so that's the thing is we're dealing with something here, like he's saying the overall size of this Nudebronk is twenty millimeters in total length. Yeah, it's tiny, tiny. But I mean, you look at the photo, and it's in such perfect detail. I mean, this looks like the monster about to fight Godzilla. You know, right, <laughs> right, is, is how it looks. It looks like it should be on a Power Rangers show for, yes, for right. those parents out there who've had to go through Power Rangers seasons. This is one of the creatures that might be there. <laughs> but it's a very cool shot, very interesting. I like it. So let's move on to the wide angles that you and I both definitely love and, and a couple of these, you know, are right, right from my heart, and I know yours as well. They say here, "Go big or go home." This well-worn refrain perfectly sums up this year's wide-angle winning shots. These captivating images are vast in scope, with every detail arranged just right. Wide-angle photography portrays the whole underwater picture. Breathtaking backdrops, animal interactions, models for scale, which might be why they so often appeal to divers and non-divers alike. And I know you're you're always a fan of having that diver in there, if you can, to, to get the that very thing, the scale of the shot. Scale is part of it. The experience is part of it, too. Like when you see an underwater photo and it's just fish on a reef, right? And a nice wide angle fish on a reef, beautiful shot. But you're not in. I don't think your mind goes like, oh, that's what it's like to be in it. Right. It's like that. It's like that blue nudibranch we were just looking at. Right. You don't you, you can't if you don't if you weren't there and you don't know that this thing's 20 millimeters in size and you're just looking at a picture. You, you can't truly understand the photo. Yeah, you're not feeling like you're part of it. You know, I like the fact that when you see a diver in it, at least for me, and maybe it's because I'm a diver, I can feel what it's like to kind of be in that circumstance, to be in that photo or in that scene, if you will. That's why I like it. And again, scale. Scale is a real big part of it. It adds that. Now, this first place winner is a shot right from our hearts, right? This this under the ice photo. We've got many of these shots. This is a good shot. Yeah, you've taken a lot of shots like this where you've yes. got the diver underwater, the frozen surface, the ice hole, the line tender standing. I mean, this is a cool, cool shot. That's a farging ice hole. You know that, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've done this shot a million times where you're trying to get the line tender in with the diver, with the hole looking up and the lighting. A lot of times you get the, that cool, um, they call it God rays, where the light comes through different obstacles to create little rays. We're not seeing that in this, this shot. But you get that a lot of times when you're doing this kind of shot. Now, this one, he says in the behind the shot, he says, I dreamed of showing the difference between the surface and under ice worlds in one shot. It was not an easy task. The difference in quantity of light under and over the ice was great. I also wanted to include a diver and something on the bottom of the frame. I did hundreds of dives looking for a place where I could combine all the details of my shot. Finally, I found it. And this is a cool, like this is an exciting bottom. Shallow enough that you can get the diver, the ice, the surface, the bottom all in one shot. This is pretty cool. It is. And it's that typical, you know, freshwater location shot. Those kind of colors on the bottom, the browns, the, the darker colors, the kind of earth tone, bland colors. And the, really the only color being added is... Well, you got the diver's dry suit has adds a little blue to it, but this is a typical freshwater ice diving shot. Yeah, it, it actually works out really well that oh, yeah. the diver has 
blue in the dry suit, blue in the gloves that balances out so well with the blue of the sky and the line tender coming up right from the top to bottom, uh, the browns on the bottom, the, the leafy bottom, you know, composition there balanced with the, the browns of the surface structure coming through the hole. It's a cool shot, man. I, I dig the hell out of this one. Yeah, that's because we've done that. You've been there. You've been you've been in this place, really. <laughs> yes, right? yeah. Um, really nice shot. I did he say where he's where he's at? No, I don't get a location there, but I don't know if it's that could be a saltwater location. Yeah, it could be. That, it, it might be over somewhere over in yeah. Russia. Russia. And only because it's Victor. Victor, Victor Lagushkin. Very nice shot. I like it. But look at that thickness of that ice, too. Yeah. It's a, yeah. some thick old ice, man. Now, the second place shot is another amazing wide angle. Uh, you're you're going to have to uh, really explain this one to me. I mean, this is not only is this a wide angle shot, but this has got some abstract. The, there's life to this shot. Movement to this shot. I mean, this is a a a, a big wide angle shot of swirling sharks. These these nurse sharks all over the place, and you can see them swimming in the shot. Well, you're getting the motion blur. That's that's what motion blur does. It gives you a sense of motion, obviously. So he he made it. This is a difficult shot. This is you got to tip your hat to this guy. And the thing that makes it difficult is is what he's achieved when you look at the, the sharks closest to your eyeball in the frame. They're very sharp and in focus, right? You're not really seeing any motion blur on them. And then you look at all the other sharks, a lot of motion blur. I mean, when you look at the settings, what you notice is one-second shutter speed, which is a very slow, very very slow, slow shutter yeah. speed. Right. So it opens and, and stays open for one second. Now, how you achieve that background sharks blurred with motion blur and your foreground sharks very much in focus and lit up well is the strobe work. So the strobe fired and it imprinted that onto the sensor, those, those ones very close. And then the shutter staying open allowed the background where it stayed open and let the sharks do their thing and the motion was captured via blur. Right. It's pretty cool. So cool. Tough to pull off. I try to pull these shots off. Sometimes they do work. Most of the time, not. It's difficult. Take some practice. And again, this is a shot that that's kind of falls into the breaking the rules realm. Because mm-hmm. typically, you, you would never want to do, especially underwater, a one-second shutter with a handheld camera because it's gonna blur everything but here the blur just makes it makes the magic i'm curious if he used a tripod or set the camera down on something you know the whole housing but yeah they let the shutter open and notice he fired the strobes at the end to freeze some of the details yeah it's a it's very cool and he's he's using a camera that's um it's a full-frame camera, which won't go too much into that, but just know that full-frame is a large sensor versus the uh, APS-C, which are not as large. The large sensor gives you higher ISO capabilities, more crisp shot, and a shot that you can crop down. But I noticed he's shooting with that Canon R5, which is a 45-megapixel um, camera, which gives you huge file sizes. But the the image itself is large, right? Right off the bat. Well, I mean, this is a cool wall hanger for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so even if he, this was just part of what was in the frame, he could he can crop it down. That huge file size allows him to crop it down to exactly what he wants. Yeah, and if anything, uh, I would have cropped it just a hair more off the top of there. Got rid of that little fin and a little bit of those bubbles coming up. Um, but other than that, I mean, this is magic. Now, the third place shot by Tom St. George in the cave in Mexico, man, this is just incredible. And I don't know what it is, but photos like this just did not exist 10 years ago. Like the the capability of of the lights that we have nowadays, the power of the lights, like 
one of the most amazing things to come about with with the, the the last decade of LED light technology is the ability to blow up these rooms and caves and get cave diving photography that just has never existed before. And this is one that just brings it all home. A very pretty shot. Um, I don't know if it is it the composition you like more or is it the the environment? I mean, the lighting is very nice. It's uh. The water's crystal clear, so you can your strobes will do a lot of work down there. Like in our water, it's difficult to pull off a shot like what you're seeing there. Yeah, well, this is. I mean, the the subject of the actual cave itself is very well lit up, but then you've got a diver off to the side that's backlit, right? That's balancing out the the, the center focal point of the shot. That's cool, man. And then the colors, the richness. Now, I notice there's a, a little bit of graininess in and around where the diver is being backlit. Would you say that that's part of being that the fact that they're in a cave and needing that ISO so high? I, and when I say graininess, I don't mean it's grainy in a bad way because it's still amazing. Well, I think it, it appears almost as if it's, uh, you know, silt or sand, you know, right. in the water, which... Yeah, if you place your strobes correctly, you don't see any of that. But with that particular lighting, which is pretty common practice to get this kind of shot, to backlight the, a cave diver. Very, very cool shot, yeah. And you're getting a little bit of uh, idea of size by throwing that cave diver in there. Exactly. That's what you were saying earlier about having the diver in the frame really, really puts you into this picture, right? Because without the diver, it's hard to fully appreciate the vastness of this room absolutely so the settings on this brando an f8 with a 150th of a shutter speed so f8 is not crazy low but it's definitely not the high ones that we were seeing with those macro shots right right it's uh it's like in the middle of the road and a lot of times uh like your lens will have a sweet spot and it's usually around that f8 setting f8 f11 kind of thing each lens will have a sweet spot where it'll produce its most crisp images so that may be the sweet spot for that sigma 15 millimeter fisheye lens that they're using with that sony but um yeah, one fiftieth of a second. I'm looking at it. It's kind of where your settings get forced into. I think sometimes when you're in cave uh, photography settings, or, you know, photography opportunities, whatever you want to call it, you you find you've got a more narrow range to work with as far as your settings. You have to get that ISO up there for the wide angle shots. You need a, a very sensitive sensor because there's such a lack of light down there. Right. It's I mean, this is way darker than a night dive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yes, it's a vacuum of light in a cave. So to be able to light up a huge amazing room like this, again, you know, uh 15 20 years ago, you just didn't have the 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 light technology to even be able to produce it. Yeah, when we talk about that, occasionally on the show we talk about the old days with, you know, halogen canister lights that you made in your garage, you know, right. 50, 50 watt halogen. If you had a giganto battery pack, you would get, you know, maybe 45 to 60 minutes of burn time. 100 watt halogen, cut it in half, that burn time. And I can remember building up lighting systems to take into a cave so that we could set up this auxiliary lighting and kind of light up a large room. And the battery packs, and even with all of that, it was huge. You know, it was uh, it would take like four divers to carry all this crap in. And I, I had to float it in a bag. It was so heavy because of all the battery packs. We had to float it into the cave, you know, tow it with scooters it was a it was a major league project and you couldn't even get a fraction of the light that you're seeing in this with just a few two strobes and a video light yeah beautiful just beautiful well done technology has really helped the led technology the battery technology all of that has really uh, opened the door for photographers to pull out some awesome shots you need to have the tools right yeah you got to have the tools man that's it that's and you understand why you know people are spending thousands of dollars on, on on those tools even though you know we looked at so, some cool compact camera systems that that did get some good shots you see the magic of these of these other winners so kudos to everybody 
Um, people, go ahead and uh, head over to scuba diving.com. The 2021 Underwater Photo Contest winners, these are some doozies uh, out of the, and again, 17, over 1,700 submissions for these photos. Um, I'm digging them, and I, I always love looking at, at these shots. And now that you've lured me into this <laughs> I've manual <laughs> world, it's it's now I'm, I'm I'm really getting into like trying to break them down and understand the thinking of these different settings on these cameras. It's, it's so cool, cool stuff. It is, isn't it? Did you um have a chance? There's another uh, page on the website that's the staff favorites from the photo contests. So they're not in that the article we just went through, but they are some pretty equally awesome shots, easily equally awesome shots. It would be very difficult to be a photography judge with all of these shots, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Could you imagine? To take nearly 2,000 photos yeah. down to 10. And when you look at the rest of the photos, each one is you know, a work of art in and of itself. It's tough. It's a tough uh, decision. Every single one of these, these staff favorites, I really like the dog, You know, the over-under of the dog swimming. That's pretty cool. That's one you could give to your, your topside friends that don't even dive, and they'd get it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, very cool. I like, I like the Barracuda shot. You know, super cool. I mean, I mean, that's that just makes me want to get in the water and go diving. <laughs> cool stuff, everybody. Go, uh, go check these out. And we hope you enjoyed this little photo contest breakdown from your old buddies at Great That Podcast. Say cheese. We'll see you next week. Yeah, get out there, take some photos. Show us. Yeah, send us some photos. Send us, uh, send us some pics of your favorite pics. All right, everybody. Take it easy. Safe diving. Jamesy, keep snapping. Till next week. Till next week.